Our passage this morning is from Psalm 133, and if you're using your pew Bible, that can be found on page 443, I believe. Please give attention to the Word of God. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray once again together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Among the most beautiful and pleasurable things in life that we can see or experience have the beauty of diversity coming together in unity. The beauty and pleasure of music when diverse voices, instruments, rhythms, textures, melodies, harmonies all come together in a unified whole that thrills our ears and our souls and causes us to cry, oh, that's so good. The beauty and pleasure of a story or a film in which the diverse characters and circumstances seem so unconnected and then one unifying revelation or word or event at the end of the film ties everything together in a unified whole. The beauty and pleasure of a meal with diverse types of food and drink and flavors and colors prepared and presented in such a way that everything's just perfectly paired and is a feast for all the senses. Ah, so good. The beauty of diversity coming together in unity. And you could think of plenty more examples. For King David, in this psalm, what he finds beautiful, what gives him great pleasure, what thrills his soul, what moves him to cry out, ah, so good, is the diversity of all God's people coming together in unity. Look at verse 1. Behold how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell in unity. And in fact, because of this theme of unity, this psalm is appropriately included as a song of ascents. If you look at the introduction above the psalm, you'll see that it has that title, A Song of Ascents. And the Song of Ascents is a collection of 15 psalms, Psalms 120 through 134, that uh, were composed at different times and different places and different contexts by different people, but they were gathered together in a collection to be sung by all the tribes of Israel as they journeyed to Jerusalem, as they made the ascent to Mount Zion for the annual feasts of worship and celebration. And as we read the psalm, you can just imagine the thrill of the king, of King David, to be in Jerusalem just before the annual feast and to look out on the hills and to see all these pilgrims from all the tribes in His kingdom coming together in unity to worship and to celebrate. And this morning we'll see that we too, as God's people, as the church, are journeying together to the worship and celebration at the feast in the heavenly Jerusalem. We're making our ascent to Mount Zion. And so we too, as the church, with all of our diverse ages, personalities, interests, experiences, races, cultures, family backgrounds, we too, like King David, should celebrate 
and strive for this good and pleasing unity of God's people. We should celebrate the unity that we have and then strive to maintain that unity. And I feel I don't really have to convince you of that this morning because I know that all of you have experienced the unpleasantness, the misery that can come from disunity when that one instrument is flat or a measure behind, when the conclusion to the story falls flat and leaves all those loose ends hanging, when the one hasty word can sour an entire evening with your spouse, when your fellow church members not so pleasant to be around. Maybe when you're not so pleasant to be around. I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. When personalities and preferences clash, when you've been emotionally hurt, or you've been cut off socially in some way, or even when there's been major conflict or unrest in your church, it makes the journey miserable. And David... King David knew that unpleasantness and misery. He knew it all too well. During his rise to kingship and his rule, he witnessed and experienced firsthand the conflict and the division and the strife between all these different tribes in Israel. After his predecessor, King Saul's death, David was anointed king of the tribe of Judah, but Saul's family still ruled over the tribes of Israel, and there was a long war and a struggle for power. And it's out of these experiences of unpleasantness and strife and bitterness and conflict that David writes and all the more rejoices in and appreciates and and revels in and longs for the goodness and the pleasantness of unity among God's people. And we too, knowing and experiencing that misery and unpleasantness that comes from disunity, all the more should celebrate the unity that we have, and strive with all we have to maintain it. And so let's celebrate this morning by exploring this psalm, and in particular these two similes that David gives to describe this goodness and pleasantness of the unity of God's people. And this morning we're just going to explore the first in verse 2, and next week we'll explore the second simile in verse 3. But for this morning, uh, verse 2, first, unity is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And there are a number of ideas associated with this image, but this morning we're just going to look at two. We're going to look at the powerful witness of unity and then the lavish grace of unity. The powerful witness of unity and the lavish grace of unity. And to see these two aspects more clearly, we'll need to go to the passage from which David draws this image, and that's found in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 and 33. And you can turn there if you like. Uh, If you're using your pew Bible, that's on page 62. It's in the Old Testament. And I'll give you time to turn there with me. It's Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 33 which describes the ceremony that David is thinking about when he writes this psalm. And this is the Lord speaking to Moses, verse 22. Take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant cane, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and hen of olive oil. 
Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on ordinary men's bodies and do not make any oil with the same formula. It is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and whoever puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from his people. And so it's with the fuller background of this ceremony of anointing the priests that's in David's mind as he writes this psalm that we see more clearly the powerful witness and lavish grace of unity. So first, the powerful witness. We see from this passage in Exodus that the oil flowing down the beard and the robes of Aaron was a holy anointing oil. You heard that word throughout the passage. Holy, sacred, consecrated, set apart. And the oil was used to set apart... Aaron and his sons to be priests before God, to serve God in his holy place, which at that time was the tabernacle, a tent where God dwelt with his people. And again, we see that even the oil itself was holy and set apart. It was only to be poured on the priests and not on anybody else. But in Psalm 133, David pictures that ceremony, so to speak. He sees that anointing oil normally reserved for the priest. For Aaron and his sons and the tribe of Levi, he pictures that anointing oil being poured out on all the tribes of Israel, on all the people. Although God did appoint Aaron and his sons to be priests serving in the holy place, we've seen from our series in Deuteronomy that God's intention for the entire nation of Israel, for all the people, was to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What does that mean? It means that Israel was set apart from all the surrounding nations. God chose Israel from all the nations to be his special people. He entered into a special relationship with them, a covenant relationship. He gave them the law. He gave them sacrifices to atone for sins and to enjoy his presence. He gave them the promised land. And it was God's intention that Israel would be priests would be mediators, that as they enjoyed the presence and the blessing of God, that through them, the presence and blessing of God would come, would be displayed to the nations surrounding them. That because of the beauty, the beauty of Israel's worship and life and experience of God together, that the surrounding nations would not help but see the beauty and the goodness of Israel's God, the Lord Himself. But clearly, Israel could not fulfill this calling when they were in conflict, when they were divided, when they were at war, or even if not at war, at least indifferent to each other. Tribes, families, and people going their own separate ways. And the New Testament teaches us that we as the church the people of God, the new Israel, 
have this same role to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation, as we, the church, enjoy the presence and blessing of God, that through us, the presence and blessing of God would be clear to those around us, to those in the land that God has placed us. And one of the clearest places we see this teaching is in 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to verse 9. Peter is speaking to the church, to God's people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been chosen have been consecrated, have been set apart, made holy as God's people, His treasured possession. Why? So that, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of His darkness into His marvelous light. That we, in our enjoyment of God together, in our worship of Him, in our work for Him, in our walk with Him, in our witness to Him, that we too would display the beauty and pleasantness of our God and that those around us would not help but see it. But again, we too cannot fully realize this calling when we have conflict or division or at the very least simply a lack of interest or sacrificial love for each other. It is in the goodness and pleasantness of unity that the goodness and pleasantness of the Lord Himself is most enjoyed and displayed to the world. You might even say that the unity of the church is the most powerful witness to Christ in the world. And in this regard, I've often thought about the Apostle Paul's prayers for the New Testament church found in his many letters. It's interesting that you don't see Paul praying things like, I pray that God would use you to reach the lost. Or, I pray that God would use you to change the world, or at least to change the city around you. Or, I pray that God would use you to bring justice and mercy to your cities. What, what do you see him praying for? He prays things like, I pray that you would be mutually encouraging one another. That's from Romans. I pray that together you would know more of God. Ephesians. Again from Ephesians, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love for each other. Philippians, I pray that your love for each other would abound more and more. Thessalonians, I thank God that your love for one another is increasing. Why? It's clearly not because Paul doesn't want the church to reach the lost or to change the world around them or to do justice and mercy in the city. That's his heart. That's the heart of Jesus. That should be our heart too. So why does Paul pray this way? It's because that Paul knows that it is through the goodness and pleasantness of unity that God then uses the church to reach the lost and to change the world. We long, I hope you do, we long to be a powerful witness of unity in our community and to the world. But to be a powerful witness of unity in the world requires the lavish grace of unity. So here we see the lavish grace of unity. The anointing oil of unity that sets us apart for service. It's not something that we can manufacture. 
And you see that from the psalm. Rather, what direction is it? It's poured down from above. It's poured down from above. Unity is a gift. It's a gift of lavish grace in so many ways. How? First, in its fragrance, in its sweetness. Remember, the oil used to anoint Aaron was fragrant. It was sweet-smelling. And if you're a believer here this morning in Christ, I know that you have experienced and tasted that sweetness of unity in God's people. And it seems kind of like a Christian-y word, sweetness of our fellowship, but it's a biblical word. It's true. And if you're a believer, you know it. You've tasted it. There's a sweetness to our fellowship together. If you're in one of our community groups, you know you've experienced that sweetness of fellowship together. And we celebrate it, and we strive more for it. But not only is it sweet-smelling, is it fragrant, when it's poured down from above, it's overflowing. It's overflowing. The holy anointing oil poured on the head of Aaron. What happened? It spilled down to his beard. And then it overflowed even to the collar of his robes. And this is a picture of how God lavishly pours on us the holy anointing oil of His Holy Spirit. And it overflows to every single member of the body of Christ. It doesn't just stay at the head. It overflows to the beard and then it overflows to the robes. It flows to all the church, to every single member of the body of Christ. That's the unity in diversity. God's Spirit doesn't bring uniformity. It brings good and pleasant unity in diversity. The energy and vision of the young people and the wisdom and experience and oftentimes the energy of the old people. The newest or weakest member to the strongest in faith. The helpful perspectives of those that were born in other places in the world and the helpful perspectives of those that were born and raised here. The variety of gifts and callings that are even just represented here this morning in this relatively small gathering. What diversity is here this morning even? And this does and can lead to conflict. It can lead to division, or at least it can just lead to frustration, or to impatience, or to butting heads. Or, this could lead to beautiful unity in diversity. And so I just encourage you this morning, may we, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So may we love and appreciate and support and pray for and work with each other with our brothers and sisters here in this church as we look to reach Hampton Park, as we look to partner and reach those in Uganda. And may we love and appreciate and support and pray for and work with each other for brothers and sisters in other churches, in other peoples of God, here in this very city, who are on that very same journey to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're all going to the same place. Paul goes on to say, For there is one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all 
and in all. So to that end, this morning, to be a powerful witness, to experience lavish grace, we have the opportunity to dwell together in unity in a sweet and profound and powerful way. God, in His goodness, has given the church a variety of ways to enjoy and experience His presence and fulfill our calling and to be strengthened to go out into the world. And one of those ways is this sacred meal of bread and wine that we share together, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, just before He would go to the cross, was pouring out His heart in prayer to His Father. And what was Jesus praying for? What was He pleading to His Father for? What was on Jesus' mind hours before He would go to the cross? Unity. For God's people to be united together is a powerful witness to the world. That was what was on Jesus' mind. Listen to His prayer from John chapter 17. Father, as You sent Me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake... I set myself apart. I make myself holy. I consecrate myself that they also may be set apart, made holy, consecrated in truth. I ask for those who believe in me that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. So that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How has God, by His lavish grace, set us apart as His people, as the church, His treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, to accomplish His work in the world? Only through His Son, who set Himself apart as our great High Priest for the work He had to accomplish on our behalf. As our great High Priest, He offered Himself up as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. His body was broken so that we could be brought together in one body. His blood was shed to give us peace with God and then peace with each other. He was cut off from the family so that we could be welcomed in to the family of God. The unity of His fellowship with the Father was torn apart as He cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? So that we could have the unity of fellowship of God and with each other. How we should celebrate and strive to dwell together in unity when we know that not only did Jesus pray to His Father for it, but He knew that the answer to that prayer would be His death for us. How we should celebrate and strive for it. So let's do that now as we come to the table. How good and pleasing it is. And imagine, just imagine the thrill of King Jesus as He's looking down from the heavenly Jerusalem and He sees all His people here this morning coming together for the feast. Imagine Him saying, oh, so good. And imagine the thrill of King Jesus in that day when His people from every tribe, from every nation, from every language, from every tongue come to the feast with Him in the heavenly Jerusalem and eat the feast with Him. For there, God commands the blessing, life forevermore. Let's be a part of that. Let's come to the table to dwell in unity so that, so that the world would then see 
the beauty of our God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you make it so? Would you continue to answer your own prayer that you would unite us together in one body so that the world may see and believe? Do this as we come to the table together. In Jesus' name, amen.